Welcome back to Law School Revealed. I'm your host, Shay Smock, coming to you once again from the beautiful Bloomington, Indiana at Indiana University's Mauer School of Law. Today's interview is with Dean Parrish, the dean of our entire law school here at Mauer. I'm not sure if it's typical or not. I think it probably isn't. It's probably another kind of unique to IU things. Dean Parrish is always around. I see him always once a week, if not twice a week. I just run into him in the halls. He's so friendly. He says hello to everyone. And he also holds town halls and coffee breaks with him in the library where you can go ask him questions and complain or whatever's going on in your life. There are events that the Dean is at. And I think that's really cool that you can just have kind of a friendly conversation with the Dean of Law School. So why don't you listen in on my first friendly conversation with him? What was your journey to coming and working at Mauer? Yeah, so I had um, I'd practiced law for about five or six years at a large law firm in Los Angeles. And then in the early 2000s, I'd entered academia. And I was just finishing up a, um, I'd been appointed the interim acting dean at a school in Los Angeles called Southwestern. My mentor had been the former dean here at Mauer in the late 1980s. Oh, wow. And uh, so when I was, I was vice dean when he was dean, he stepped down. And then um, I knew Hanna Buxbaum, who was the interim dean here, and I knew Lauren Robel, uh, who was the dean for about a decade before she became the provost. And the position here opened up, and I, uh, I applied, and I finished my uh, interim deanship in November, and I started here in uh, January. Wow. And so that, I, you know, that's the short path. And it is interesting following right in the footsteps of your mentor. <laughs> yeah, no, very much so. He had, um, uh, Brian Garth, uh, tremendous dean, had um, had appointed me as his vice dean back in, I think it was 2006 or so. And uh, he had been a dean here in the 1980s before he went to the American Bar Foundation and, and headed the American Bar Foundation for over a decade. Similar, actually, what uh, Professor Ajay Mahotra just recently did. So it's an interesting a small world. It is. And coming from, I, I love LA, but it is very different from Bloomington. How have you adjusted? Mm -hmm. I know some people yeah. here in Indiana, they're like, oh. <laughs> you know, I, I knew very little about Indiana before I before I got here. Um, but I love Bloomington. I have two young daughters, and most of my life, if I'm not doing law school work, is gymnastics, dance, um, theater, whatever the, the sport activity of the day is. And being able to get to their activities in five minutes rather than an hour, it, mm -hmm. it makes a big difference. Yeah, you almost don't really have to plan. You know you'll be able to get there. No, if you leave when it started, you'll only barely be late. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and I can, you know, it's, um, I probably have gained back um, maybe an hour and a half to two hours of my, of my day because in Los Angeles, I would leave work at 7 o'clock to get in around 8. Um, and here, I can leave at 7 o'clock to get into work at about 7.05. And so it gives me a lot more time. So. That is nice. Yeah. I always remember that if I do an interview at a law firm, that that gives you more time to work, actually, instead yeah, well, of more time for yourself, right? That's Not right, wasting that's right. it in a commute. Exactly. <laughs> um, so in your opinion, what do you think is different now mm -hmm. that you're here um, compared to other law schools? No. Oh. Well, um, I, you know, these are kind of cliche, but on the one hand, the people really make a difference. So um, I think, uh, you know, we were talking earlier, the student body is uh, is not overly competitive, but a lot of hard workers that, right. that have some grit and care about where they're going. But that's also true on the faculty side. You've got a really nice faculty. A lot of schools are marred in, in uh, 
long-held sort of disputes between different factions of faculty that nobody can quite remember why they're so upset with one another, and sometimes it's ideological or theoretical-based. Here, um, here there's a very cohesive faculty of people who are, I think, good friends as well as good colleagues, and that makes a big difference. Uh, and then the location, I think. Uh, so uh, there's something special about being part of Indiana University, uh, being such a large research institution, and having those resources and being able to draw those connections from the university. And then Bloomington is a particularly nice community, and it's a great place to go to school because it's um, you don't have to worry about all the other things, or you have less of the other distractions, or, you know, whether it's traffic or you know some of the stress of a, a large urban city. And here, you know, so I, I think that makes for a particularly nice, uh, nice place to have law school. Yeah, and it's a small enough city that you meet someone who's lived here before, and they're going to have a lot to talk to you about, whereas I'm sure you run into people from L.A. all the time, like, yeah, I'm from there, too. <laughs> Does it feel like a deep connection? Whereas if you both mm -hmm. went to IU, you really you went through something very similar. I think that's right. I think that's right. The other thing is we've been fortunate because it's got such a, had such a strong reputation over such a long period of time, um, and because it's a kid-friendly area, we attract faculty here that might otherwise go to you know some wonderful schools somewhere else, and they build some really interesting programs that are much bigger than Indiana. And so you, you think of people like Fred Kate with cybersecurity, or Mark Janis with intellectual property, or Susan Williams with the Center on Constitutional Democracy, or, or Jay Christian with the Center on Global Legal Profession, um, and they're doing amazing work that not only has an impact here in Indiana, but has global impact both on the research side, but also on the way they're training the next generation of of thought leaders, and then also uh, their partnerships with various schools. And then you also see that in our sort of experiential programs, so you know, whether that's Bill Weeks with the Conservation Law Center, or someone like Carlina Wang with uh, disability rights and veterans' rights, or Amy Applegate doing mediation work. It's having an impact here in Indiana, but then it's much broader in, 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 in scope and impact. That's a good point. That's, this season is just is your last interview for this season. But the next season, I want to highlight all the centers and uh -huh. talk to yeah. all of them because I uh -huh. thought that is something cool and unique about IU that would attract people. Yeah, I think one thing, like on the, this may be too sort of detailed, but you look at some schools and they're one-hit wonders. So they they have a particular expertise. So you might think of Vermont that's very well-known in environmental, environmental yes. Lewis and Clark environmental. Um, uh, my former school, Southwestern, was really known for entertainment law. And so you see schools that are of a, a particular um, a particular strategy by sort of identifying one area that they're particularly well known in. And uh, for us, it's sort of nice. We're a public school, and so we, we appeal to a broad range of people so you can come here and get a general law degree. But then we have these particular programs where we're really in the top in the country. So intellectual property is a great example. Our tax program is consistently ranked. I think last year it was ranked 16th in the nation. Um, uh, international programs is really highly ranked um, and so you and then you see things that don't have rankings but are just really sort of on the cutting edge such as cybersecurity, constitutional design, global legal profession, um, law and society and, and you see us being a real leader in that way and it's a way to drive reputation and attract people who are really interested in particular areas of law and that's kind of nice. Yeah and it is neat because we all kind of study the same thing no matter where you go to law school the same case books we go mm -hmm. over the same stuff but it is neat to have that experience with someone who really is like world-renowned like the Williams yeah. is and, and get to know them. I guess right. Okay so someone like me I, I decided in April 
things were not going my way. I had a PhD and no job offers. And I was like, what am I going to do? And I always wanted to go to law school. I was like, well, no kids, I'm not married. When else can I do this? So I thought maybe I'll go. And I started looking for information. Um, and actually until my best friend married uh, Glenn Skolnick's son, I didn't know any attorneys to ask questions. So what would you tell someone like me who just really didn't even know where to start but was interested in law school? Yeah, you know, so I think the easiest thing is to go visit. There's law schools, you know, probably wherever you are in most places. And um, I think go sit in on a class. Um, sit in a class, talk to some, sure, you can meet with the admissions folks, but also go talk with some students. And um, you want to kind of get a sense of whether it's a right fit for you. And I think, frankly, sometimes, you know, going to law in, in place A can be very different going to law school than place B. And mm -hmm. so I think it makes sense to, you know, get involved and, um, most schools will allow you to come in and sit in a class, meet with some students, talk to some alumni, and it'll give you a better sense of whether it's the right path for you. Um, you know, I think um, there's a lot of sort of urban myths about law schools. So, yes. you know, there's the there's the stereotypical uh, sort of going all the way back to like the 1970s paper chase mm -hmm. or the the 1L book by Toro that that people have this particular perception of what law schools like, and it's normally fairly divorced from reality. Uh, also, people who went to law school um, even 20 years ago, the law school is a very different place um, across the country in the programs they offer. And so, um, you know, in the national use news, you hear quite a bit of stereotypes of, of school being very theoretical and not having sort of any practical application. And those people just haven't been to law school for a long time, and so they're living in an older model. So I think it's worthwhile kind of going and, and, and getting a sense. And then for most people, I think if you sit in a couple of classes, it'll either excite you and you'll realize that that's sort of the intellectual environment and, and sort of challenge you want, or you'll very quickly be like, nope, that's not for me. Mm -hmm. And that's good to know at that point rather than before you take the LSAT and go through the entire process. Oh, right, that's yeah. true. The hardest part was definitely the LSAT yeah. <laughs> so yeah. far. Yeah. And when I came to visit, they let me sit in on Professor Jodigan's Torts class. He had the summer session mm -hmm. going on, and I was, this is where I belong. And yeah. this, he was so great. I think talking to friends as well. So um, it's true that a lot of people may not know lawyers, but if you dig a little bit, you normally can find somebody. And uh, my only warning there is make sure you try to speak to a number of people because you've got people like uh, you mentioned Glenn Skolnick, who's a tremendous person and, and right. a really uh, has a great outlook on life. He does. And you have other people that are still sort of, uh, you know, that are a little more negative. I, 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 it's amazing how many lawyers you talk to who say, don't go to law school. You have to be incredibly intelligent to survive. Of course, I did great. And right, <laughs> so it's that's, true. That's, <laughs> my major, my professors at Butler actually were like, if you don't, because I didn't want, to, I only knew of litigation. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to do that. And they said, if you don't want to be a lawyer, don't go to law school. It's too expensive. Mm -hmm. Go to graduate school. Yeah. And I, I probably worked out best since um, I think law school was way more competitive actually when I was mm -hmm. graduating in 2009. Probably would have been more difficult, but. Um, I'm glad I'm going to be able to, to do both. That's yeah. one of the sort of myths that people don't know what you, all you can do with a law degree. Yeah, no, I, like I think there's certainly limits. So I think there used to be, you know, think, well, you can do anything. Well, that's probably not true. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm surprised. I, there was in California, uh, there was a professor at, at, a, at a very well-regarded local school, and they kept telling people to go and, and um, uh, do a Ph.D. programs and you know, there's not a lot of jobs coming out of PhD programs. Not anymore. Uh, no. not, not anymore, exactly. And, and you know, even a long time ago, it was limited. Um, you know, I think you want to make sure that it's sort of putting you in the path that you want. Um, 
But if you've come out with a liberal arts degree and you're looking to get it, um, to advance, you're, you know, most people will get an MBA or, or JD or some other professional degree. And I still think the JD is one of the most versatile. Mm -hmm. The other thing that's a little bit uh, misleading in the national press is that it's certainly true that law school is expensive. Um, but you have choices to make. And right. now, more so than any time in the past, students can trade off prestige uh, for cost. Now, whether they're making a good trade-off is sort of depends on the individual as to what their ambitions, where they want to practice. Um, but taking us out of the you know, picture, my guess is that uh, you know, if you're getting into the University of Chicago in, in uh, Chicago, you probably can go to Northwestern with a little bit of scholarship money. You right. probably can go to Chicago with a very large scholarship money. Uh, scholarship package, and you probably can go to, um, you know, DePaul with with a full ride, mm -hmm. and and so you can trade off those and decide what sort of works best for you as to whether you go to a lower ranked school with a higher scholarship package, or whether you go to a higher ranked school with with slightly less money, and whether that's a good decision or not perhaps depends geographically where you want to be and the the difference in the reputation, and and um, and so um, it is true that it's expensive, although we're giving out more scholarship money now than we have ever. In, in any time in our history, and there's more ability for students to, to uh, make trade-offs between cost and prestige than any time in American history, basically. Oh, yeah, and there's so much more information available, too. Yes. Yeah. That was one of the great things about applying, you know, since the internet and everything going online. Absolutely. <laughs> make it easier. Absolutely. Um, you okay, can listen so to podcasts. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, if the first year of law school had a soundtrack, what do you think it would be? We're trying to put music throughout these podcasts so they're not uh -huh. too boring. <laughs> So this may be a strange answer. Uh, when I was in law school, they used to have a law review show, which is sort of a cabaret show. And uh, one of our classmates rewrote Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive a, uh, to use uh, make it relevant to one else. And that's always stuck in my, my head. I, it was, I can't remember the lyrics, but he, it was, he was quite clever the way he did it. And mm -hmm. so uh, when you ask that question, it, that just uh, brought me back to that my own first year experience in this cabaret show where I thought it was, it was pretty brilliant. So. Mm, it makes sense. On Mondays, I seem like, oh, I'm ready for the week. I uh, had them well rested. I had my homework done. And then by Wednesday, <laughs> I yes. just hit it. So you hit that slump where you're like, I'm so tired. Mm -hmm. I still have all this work to do. At first, I was afraid. I was petrified. Kept thinking I could never live without you by my side. But then I spent so many nights thinking how you did me wrong. And I grew strong. And I learned how to... It is like every week you go through the... Yeah. <laughs> I will survive is a good one. Yeah. I think the... Uh, I think that sort of up and down that you were describing is the... Uh, um, also happens in sort of larger cycles in law school, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you certainly have times where you're like, oh my gosh, this is a lot of weight and work. And I think other times where it really reinforces why you came. And yes. certainly after the first year, I think you have more of those sort of high points because you're able to specialize a little more and, and you can see how the basic sort of foundation courses that you talk in, took in the first year, which you know, is more of the sort of the hard work digging in. Um, in the upper division, you're able to, you know, help individual people get out in the community and start seeing how your career path might look. And so I think that's there's more high points there rather than, oh, gosh, I, I need to spend another two hours in the library to figure out right. whatever. Yeah. There have definitely been more high points, I think, than people let on. I think that mm -hmm. once you finish it, sometimes it's like, oh, there's, everyone's trying to prepare you for the worst. And it really, I yeah. mean, there are moments. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, law school's rough, but it isn't, you know, the 
it's not as bad as manual labor every day, you know. It's, I'm not, I'm not bleeding actually. Yeah. Well, that you know, I used to have that conversation with people. So you know, there's there's a there's a myth, and that lawyers work so much harder than anybody else. And the evidence is actually fairly clear that uh, attorneys work hard, but they they don't really work harder than most other professions. And so um, now, there's certainly there, you know certainly can be somebody who's working in, in a very large, let's right. say, New York firm where you're working around the clock. Um, but, you know, frankly, taxi drivers in New York are generally working really long days and, and oh, yeah. waiters are working really long days. And, and so it's more of just sort of a trend, I think, in, in jobs. Uh, I, I think one of the things for most people is that once they graduate from law school and they start practicing where they really are putting in, you know, a 10 or 12-hour day that's, you know, really focused, they realize that law school was was pretty much the, the high point of that. Yeah, it, it, it's funny, it's, it is, it's just a different type of thinking, and I think that's what's so exhausting. Your head is exhausted at the yes. end of the day in a different way than it has been in anything else I've ever done, because didn't when, usually know when you're waiting on that cold call, you are, <laughs> yes. you have to be very alert, and it's different. Well, I don't know if you feel this way, but I think with work, right, you sort of know when your time's done. You've either completed the project right. or uh, the day's over, and then... Uh, and so there's some sort of, you know, you can always put in more time, but you sort of have some limits. I think with law school, you, you never know, well, geez, I could spend another two hours studying, and oh, maybe yeah. I'd be that much better. And so it's sort of uh, pressure-inducing because there's always more to do. That is one of my problems. There's no such thing as ever really being prepared. I right. mean, if you don't have that book memorized, yeah, exactly. <laughs> then you could study more. Exactly, exactly. Well, thank you for sitting down and taking the time, Dean Parrish, and also for being one of the many people who have helped me to survive this first year of law school. And also thanks for listening to Law School Revealed. And next up, we have the final episode. Thank you for sticking with me through the first year and the first season of the podcast. Stay revealing. Not I, I-